we are in Psalm 119. And don't worry, I'm not going to try and get to the end again. Just taking the next section verse by verse. So we are doing verses 17 to 24. 17 to 24 after doing the first two sections previously. So if you remember Psalm 119, verse 9 starts with a question. How can a young man cleanse his way? It's the question given to us in verse 9. How can we cleanse our way? And in honesty, Psalm 119 is pretty much based upon looking at the answer to that one question. How can we cleanse our way? And verses 17 to 24 are all about a specific way in which our way needs to be cleansed. And that's how can we cleanse our way in the face of danger. When faced with danger, trials, tribulations, difficulties, persecutions even, how can we keep our way clean in those situations? And just one thing I want to pick up for what I touched on a lot last time was that when I say how can we keep our way cleansed, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is not the issue here. It is our life that is before us, the path that is set before us, the way we're going to be living our lives from now on, now that we are hidden in Christ. is that path before us. How can we live our lives clean, pure, and holy, and set apart for the Lord? And that is what Psalm 119 explores, and we're going to look at another aspect of that. So, Uh, Let's read Psalm 119, verse 17 to 19. Uh, Sorry, verse 17 to 24. It says, Deal bountifully with your servant, for I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, for I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, for your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counsellors. Let's pray. So, Father, we just uh, thank you for the truth, what we have in your word, Lord. And, Lord, I thank you that you have given us your word to fall onto when we are going through difficult and challenging times in this life and as Christians there are many challenges ahead of us on the path laden before us Lord but Father thank you that we can always come before you and before your word and be strengthened encouraged and built up for it Lord so Lord just pray you just speak to our hearts uh, this afternoon Lord as we read and study and meditate upon your holy word in Jesus name Amen Amen so Verse 17 starts with a plea and a cry. Deal bountifully. This word, deal bountifully, is actually, in fact, just one word in Hebrew. And it's mentioned about three other places. Uh, if you want to know, the NSAB will probably say deal generously. It's kind of the idea of deal, dealing generously, deal fully, or being bestowed on. 
And the other three places this one word is mentioned all appear in the book of Psalms. You've got Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6, which says, But I have trusted in the Lord, your mer- uh, trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has, and here it is, dealt bountifully with me. So the psalmist is singing praises to God for the fact that God has been generous and given towards him. Uh, another place is Psalm 116, verses 5 to 9. Uh, verse 5 says, um, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord has uh, preserved simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. There it is again, dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from failing. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So here the psalmist is saying that the Lord has been bountifully in giving them rest and peace. And the final place is Psalm 142, verse 7. Bring my soul out of prison, for I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. So psalmist is full of assurance and confidence that God will be anything but generous and bountiful towards him. So those are the other places where we see this word deal bountifully with your servant. And it's key to know that God will deal bountifully towards us. Because here, back in our passage in Psalm 119, the psalmist is calling out to God to be liberal towards him, generous in giving, not holding back. He's pleading with God, please, Lord, don't hold back, but give all that is available to me, your servant, all the rich blessings and gifts that you have for me, your provisions, O Lord, your grace, your mercy, be bountiful towards me. This picture of this is in Psalm 23, verse 5, where David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And what? My cup runs over. He's saying, Unite my head, Lord, with, uh, with the oil. But yet my cup, my body, my vessel is overrunning with your blessings because you're being bountiful in dealing with me. And God loves to be a generous giver. He knows how to give. And we see this in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11, which says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Of what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will be given him a serpent. If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is good, give good all things to those who ask him? God loves to give. He loves to give bountifully towards us. But Notice how he asks God to deal bountifully. He asks, 
give bountifully for your servants. See that humility there. The psalmist knew his rightful place before God. He didn't, he knew that it wasn't worth asking God to give according to his own merit because our own merit is nothing. He was asking God to give to him bountifully our God's own goodness as our master because we as servants, we have no merit before such a holy and awesome God. God gives to us because he loves us. He wants to. He wants to pour out on us his rich blessings and gifts. We just need to ask and he will freely give. The psalmist doesn't ask God to give according to our very small service, but according to his abundance, his very large liberal given. So God loves to deal with us bountifully. We just plead and ask, and he shall give bountifully. And like even our breath is a gift from him, which he gives bountifully towards us every day. I'm thinking about that. If our breath, very breath is a gift from him, which he gives bountifully towards us, what do we do with that breath? What do we do with that breath? Do we praise the Lord? Or do we live for our own fleshy desires with that breath? Because ultimately, if we're not praising the Lord, but living for ultimately flesh and we're not truly living, we're just, uh, we're just existing. Which here it says, deal bounty for your servant that I may live and keep your word. Because if you're not living for the Lord, then you're just living without hope, without meaning, without purpose. You're just existing. Whereas for the Christian, to live as Christ. As Christ is our meaning of life, he is our purpose and our hope. And that is our highest calling, is to live in obedience to his word and to keep his word. And keeping his word will draw closer to him and experience more of his goodness and his grace and experience more of his gifts that he's got waiting for us. Because, Lord, we need him to deal bountifully with us. We need him to give abundantly his mercy, grace and love and hope and joy and peace and patience and protection and compassion and provisions because without any of those things, how can we expect to live one day on this earth in a monster, fallen, sinful world without those abundant provisions of what we need from him? What better way to find those abundant blessings, what we have in the Lord, than through his holy word? But we can only see those rich, abundant blessings in his holy word if our eyes are open. That's verse 18. Open my eyes. I may see wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes, that I may see the wondrous things. This means that we've actually already been given the tools we need to be able to see those rich blessings in God's word. We just need to use them. We just need to open our eyes, and only he can truly open our eyes. 
because without the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, opening the eyes of our hearts, then the truths that are in his word are blinded to us. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes. He say, see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. We have ears and eyes, but yet unless the spirit of God opens our eyes and ears, then we are blind and mute and dumb to the truths that are in his word. We need to see the truths and hear the truths that God is trying to talk to us through his holy word. Paul picks up on this truth in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11 to 15. For what man knows the fins of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the fins of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the fins that have been freely given to us by God. These fins we also speak not on words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in us, so that we may perceive and understand the wondrous things of God. For when we come to the word of God and when we struggle to see the wondrous things within the scriptures it's not an issue of God's word it's an issue of us we need God to fill us with his spirit so that we may see those wondrous truths and God's word is living and powerful many are as wondrous Hebrews 4 verse 12 for the word of God is living and powerful sharp of any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and is discerned of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There are plenty of wondrous truths to be found in God's word. A few of them are John 3.16. Famous verse we all know. What a wondrous truth that is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The wondrous truth that God gave himself for us and that he loved us. Hebrews 3, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful truth that God, no matter what we go through in this life, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Everyone else may forsake us, but he never will. Philippians 1.6, being confident of his very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What another glorious, wonderful truth we have there. The fact that our salvation is sure because if he's started that work in you, he'll complete it. What more hope, glorious hope do you need that if you are saved, you always will be because he will complete that work. And we have those those are just three examples of the wondrous truths we have in Scripture because we have the complete canon of Scripture. But when you think about it, if, as most say, they reckon it was King David who wrote this psalm, 
he wouldn't have had those glorious, wonderful truths what I just read out there. He would have had, in actual fact, a lot smaller section in the Bible. If you think about it, all that King David would probably have had were Genesis to Deuteronomy and perhaps maybe Joshua and Job. But yet, definitely wouldn't have had Judges because I've been in time with his great-granddad and his granddad. They were living through those times. But Ruth was, David was mentioned at the end of it. So clearly that wasn't around the time and most believe David probably wrote the book of Ruth. So it really does leave Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And David looked at those five books and saw wondrous truths in those books. And when you look at those five books, you think, okay, well, Genesis is a good, fun book about creation and the early start of man. You get to Exodus, which starts out great, but then you get to the tabernacle, and then you read how you, you know, God wants it to be built, and then you read the exact same thing again. You see how man built it. Get to Leviticus, full of strange and endless laws about uh, like a house being full of leprosy and what to do then. And it's like, okay, where's, where, there must be some wondrous things. Get to Numbers and your endless genealogies after another. And then you get to Deuteronomy, you're just like, hang on a second, I just read all this. As you realize, you're just repeating everything what you just read in the previous few books. But yet David still said there are wondrous truths in those first five books. He's like, really? Well, I suppose you're right. In Exodus, God's a God of detail. He gives them the plans and they execute it because he loves detail. Leviticus, it shows how we must worship God and his high standard. It shows his high standard in worship. Numbers shows us he loves family. Family is important to God, hence the endless genealogies. He loves those families, every single one of them. And Deuteronomy, it's my favorite one, tells us how important it is to teach the next generation. But without the Holy Spirit, those first five books, you probably won't see the wondrous things in them. But it's only through the Holy Spirit you can see the wondrous that are in it. And we need our eyes open to see the many wondrous truths that are from Genesis right through to Revelation. And that is the first danger. There's the danger that you want false doctrine because of your eyes being closed to the wondrous truths. And the next one is we have such a wonderful truth uh, within the scriptures. And the next truth is we see is about our citizenship. Our citizenship. Verse 19, I'm a stranger in the earth. So here's the danger of being a stranger. And you think that being a stranger in this world is more of a New Testament, but yet, as we uh, will see in Hebrews 11, verse 10, where it speaks of Abraham, in verse 10 it says, For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Shall even Abraham knew that this earth was not his home and that he was a stranger in this world and that he was looking forward to a future city which is not of this world. In Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the saviour of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are strangers in this world, 
then that means that we are strangers to the thought processes of this world. If we are strangers to this world, it means we are strangers to the desires of this world. If we are strangers to this world, it means we are strangers to the priorities of this world. If we are strangers, it means that we are strangers to what is right and wrong in this world. If we are truly aliens to this world of sin, then we are going against the tide of sin in this world. And it's when we're going against the tide of this world that we truly need the help and all that we can, or the help all we need to help us fight the struggle against the tide of sin. We need God's word to be able to do that. Without God's word, we won't be able to fight against the tide of sin against in this world. We need his word to be the doctrine that we follow. We need his word to be the reproof to show us where we're going wrong. We need his word to be the correction and telling us how to do it right. And we need his word to be the instruction that we may live the right life. And that right life goes against everything what this world today stands for. The question is, is who are you strangers to? Are you stranger to God or stranger to the world? And praise the Lord that if we are strangers to this world, that we have everything we need to be that stranger in God's holy word. But yet, if we neglect God's word, and if we have just a casual acquaintance with God's word, then we're not going to be fighting and striving against the tide of this world. We're going to be going with it as our word is the best weapon and tool we have in fighting against the sins and temptations and the fiery darts of the evil one. You think about it in Christ himself, facing temptation Satan. What did he use? The word of God. We need God's word like we need the air in our lungs. The question is, is do we desire it? Do we desire it? And that's what we see in verse 20. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. New American Standard Bible will t- say, my soul is crushed with longing for your ordinances at all times. The English Standard will say, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. So does our soul break with longing for God's word? Or is our soul crushed with longing for God's word? Or is our soul consumed with longing for God's word? It's a challenging challenge. How much do we desire God's word? And think of an example as a baby desires milk. It was only yesterday when Ruth were out shopping and we sat in a cafe, a cafe and there was a couple there with a, what must have been three month, six month old. And that little thing as soon as we sat down was boiling crying his eyes out absolutely crying out and you can see the man there with the bottle kind of shaking it testing it seems warm and you knew that that's all that baby wanted it saw the bottle it knew what it wanted it was dying crying out for that bottle of milk and i felt like saying to him, just give it to him <laughs> eventually when the man did that baby was happy and content that's all it wanted was that bottle of milk and after it finished the whole bottle it was happy cheering but until it had that bottle, it would not stop crying his poor eyes out. 
And we see that in 1 Peter 22, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. And desire newborn babes, we know, baby Jude, he desires that milk. And as they desire that milk, we need to desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow. Just as newborn babies grow by their milk, we need to grow by our milk, which is the word of God. But do we desire God's word like that? Do we desire his word? Is our soul crushed and consumed and breaking with longing for God's word? Don't we suffer when we don't have God's word being inputted into our hearts on a daily basis? Don't we reap the consequences? But yet strengthen your heart. Strengthen your soul by the reading and hearing, studying and meditating upon God's word. Be, be built up and draw closer to God through his word. Imitate him. Imitate Christ. Because Christ essentially is God's word, God's living word. And as we imitate him more and more and be molded by his word, then our soul won't be cast down. Our soul won't be longing because of biblical neglect but we'll be growing but as we are being built up and strengthened in god's word we need to keep sure and make sure that we are humble look in verse 21 you rebuke the proud the cursed who stray from your commandments so you rebuke the presumptuous and arrogant the amplified bible says or the insolent the english standard version says God resists those who are full of arrogance. He resists those who are full of or who think that they know it all. And he resists those who are puffed up about themselves. People who are essentially full of pride. And pride is the biggest issue in this world. First uh, Peter 5 verse 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3 verse uh, 34, uh, surely he has scorned the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. And pride is the biggest problem. Because if you think about it, pride was original sin. Satan fell because of pride. Satan said, I will be like the Most High. Adam ate because of pride. He was told, you will be like the Most High. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, it's all about me. Pride tells me what to do, whatever feels good to me, do that. No matter what the cost or effect it has on others or myself, just do what you want to do. Pride says, I can be my own God. Hence why God rejects the proud, because the proud have rejected him. The proud looks at God and says, I don't need God. So God resists them. Cain. We've looked at him recently. He was full of pride when he offered up to God his offering. Nebuchadnezzar, another classic example of pride, when he looked over his kingdom and said, is this not the great Babylon that I've built for royal dwelling by my mighty power for the honor of my majesty? Haman was full of pride when he built those gallows for Mordecai, when Mordecai would not pay homage to him. Herald, he was definitely full of pride when he was sat in his throne one day, arrayed in his poor prayer, and those around him, after he gave an oration, and they were shouting out 
a voice of God and not of man in Acts 12. But yet, what was the end of all those men? What was the ever end? Cain was a fugitive for the rest of his life. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of his kingdom and acted like a brute beast for seven years. Haman, ironically, handled his own gallows. And Herod, best one of all, eaten by worms. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 73, when he looked at the great prosperity of uh, the wicked and the prideful, and he was wondered, why are they so prosperous? Until he went to the house of the Lord and saw their end. And he knew that pride will be judged. And God will judge pride and will judge those who are prideful. Look here what it says in verse 21. He rebuked the proud, the cursed, the cursed. The prideful turn away from God's word because they see no need for it in their lives. They see that it has no value for them. They see it has no worth, no hope, and nothing good for them, the proud. But yet, in contrast, the humble, the humble says, Lord, I need you. The humble says, Lord, I need you as I need the air in my lungs. I need you as much as I need the food to sustain myself. The humble depends upon God. The humble calls out to God. It's one reason why I love the Bible. So the Bible is unlike any other religious book out there. So all the other books out there, the Quran and whatever you read, they always say, do your best. Do your best. Do this and this and this and you'll be getting to heaven. But yet the Bible says you good best, it's not good enough. Bible says, seek God above all else. The proud stray from the Bible because it exposes their sins. Their pride shows their end, their downfall. So let us be humble before such holy God. And in our humility, we need to expect the inevitable which we see in verse 22. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Danger of slander. Remove reproach and contempt, slander, scorn, disgrace, all those who speak ill of me. The question is, why do they speak such things against us? Why do they speak it against us? Is it because we're not very nice people? Is it because we're a bit strange and weird? Or is it because we are humble in our walk and in our way? Is it because we are salt and light in this darkened world? It is because, as verse 22 says, for I have kept your commandments. That is why people will slander us. They look at our lives, see how humble we are and how we are following the Lord with all our might and living for him and not ourselves and they don't understand it. They don't understand why we live our lives like we are and they see that we're trying to be reflecting of the light that Jesus shines out through us. Because at the end of the day, he says he is the true light of the world but yet he calls us the light of the world as we shine forth for him. Because the humble life exposes the sin of others, essentially. Because they see themselves 
They see their own sin and downfall. And the sad truth is, is that the light came into this world and the world rejected the light. John 3 verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So because we rejected the true light, man will slander, man will reproach and show contempt for those who shine forth that same light that they rejected. And the psalmist knew that they were slandering him because he kept God's word. People today will slander us against us because we keep God's word as well. Next one in verse 22 uh, to remove from me reproach and contempt for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. So, princes, if indeed was this King David writing, who would those princes have been to David? Be none other than his own family, who were his princes. His own family were plotting against him. And David would have known this. You see example of this with Absalom. Absalom plotted against his own father when his own father David failed to deal with the sins of his son Absalom. And so David fled Jerusalem because of Absalom. Daniel chapter 6, his life was shining forth. And the king saw it and the other officials who worked for the king saw Daniel's light. And so we got jealous. And so they plotted against Daniel. So they plotted against him. But yet Daniel remained faithful to his God, kept on praying to his God, and then was punished for his faithfulness towards God. He suffered at the hand of the princes who plotted against him, but yet God spared Daniel. And then those sinful men who plotted against Daniel paid the price what Daniel was meant to uh, have. They got thrown into that den of lions. Sinful man will first of all speak ill reproach about us, which is unpleasant as it's an expression of disapproval or disappointment on their behalf. And then they'll get worse as they bring contempt upon us, as if they see us almost less worthless and beneath them. And then they'll plot. And why? Because we are strangers in this world to them, because we are the light and salt of this world, and because the we, as we live out our lives to honor and please God, we expose the sin within them as they see that they are living their lives for their flesh, but yet we are living our lives for another, for our Savior. And if the world is looking at us and thinking, wow, they are strangers in this world, then we must be living our lives right. So in the face of great slander and plotting, what are we to do? Raise above it and keep the word of God. Keep the testimonies of God, filling our minds with the word of God. And when you read these eight verses, you see that that's the point of all these three, eight verses here. 
in the face of having the wrong understanding of God's word in verse 18, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed by the word of God. In the face of being an outcast or a stranger in this world, as is mentioned in verse 19, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed by the word of God. In the face of being weak through the lack of God's word, in verse 20, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed by the word of God. In the face of being proud and prideful, in verse 21, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed through the word of God. In the face of great reproach and contempt, in verse 22, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed before the Lord. And in the face of plotting against us, in verse 23, what are we to do? Keep our way cleansed before the word of the Lord. It's shown here that in the face of great danger, trials, tribulations, persecutions, God's word is all we need. God's word is the answer to anything what we face in this world. Don't think more on God's word in a comprehensive book about everything which will go wrong or anything which can be a tribulation or difficulty, tragic event in this world, but is a comprehensive answer to all of those things which can happen to us. After all, God's word is a book about God's redemptive plan and it deals with the biggest overriding issue that this world has, sin. God's word is giving us clear instructions when it comes to sin. Three things. Repent, forgive, forget. And those three answers can cover most of the uh, tragic events what we go through in this world. Perhaps maybe there's needs to repent of your own sin in your life. Perhaps maybe you need to forgive those who have sinned against you. Or maybe someone else has sinned, and even though it doesn't affect you, you kind of feel the effect of that other person's sin. But yet, if they're being forgiven of their sins and forgotten their sins by God, then you need to forget their sins, even though they're not sinned against you. So we need to repent, forgive, and forget, because our Father in heaven forgive and forgets our sins when we repent of our sins so let god word counsel us through every difficulty trial tribulation tragic event that can come our way through just whatever event may come our way because who knows what this world is going to chuck at us but yet whatever happens we can always come to god's word and find the strength we need we can find the edification we need. We can find the direction, instruction, correction that we need. God's word is all that we need to live out our Christian life before us. So let the word of God have its rightful place in your heart. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have given us your holy word and that is a sharp sword piercing through to our soul and our hearts, Lord. And Father, I thank you that no matter what difficulties or tragic events may be going through in our lives, whatever trials, tribulations may be going through your lives, that we can always come to your holy word and be strengthened and encouraged by it, and be built up by it, Lord. So Lord, we just pray that where we have a yearning desire, 
for your word that you've called us to have. May we just base our lives upon your holy word and live out your holy word in us each and every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.